notice is because Jesus doesn't seem to have any kind of relevance to the majority of their life, because it doesn't seem to make a particular difference, because it doesn't seem to play out in reality, it starts to become a bit irrelevant. And, 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 and over time, people sort of start thinking, well, I don't know if I can be bothered to come to church, because what's the point? Like, it doesn't seem to make any difference. I mean, I believe it to be true, but like, coming to church doesn't seem to make any difference to anything. And so people come less often, and then they don't come at all. And, and over that time, what then starts to happen when people are disconnected from Christian community, and I've seen this happen with so many of my friends, is they just drift from faith. And after a, a couple of years, they find they're like, well, I don't really know if I know Jesus at all. And for those of us that preach a message of transformation from the scriptures, it's like, gosh, what's going on there? What I want to do is I want to, um, I want to look at a few passages of scripture and I'll make some comments because I think we are working often from a default kind of theory of how we change that doesn't work, that's incomplete, a default kind of anthropology that is underdeveloped. And because of that, we are not experiencing a lot of what Jesus wants to do in our lives because we are misunderstanding how he might actually bear that into reality. I'm going to buzz through a few verses of scripture, then I'll um, say a couple of things. So first, Galatians. Um, We could read many more, but um, I'm going to pick on a few. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So live by the spirit, and you will not gratify what? The desires of the flesh. Hold that in your minds. Um, If you are led by the spirit, however, you are not under the law. Um, let's go to the next one, which I think is Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 4, um, verse 22. So Paul's writing here, and he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by what? Its deceitful desires, that word coming up again, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Finally, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, I think the default kind of sort of vision of human anthropology and theory of change that pervades most, cult, uh, most churches in the West, are on an often subconscious level, runs a bit like this. It starts with a premise that, is that as human beings, we are rational beings. In other words, we uh, think, and what we think guides how we live and the people we're becoming. And so therefore, if you want to change, what have you got to do? You've got to learn the right things. When you learn the right things, you will live in the right way. And kind of flowing from that, therefore, um, how do you change ends up being, well, come to church on a Sunday, listen to sermons, um, study the Bible. In other words, two things that are about learning, pray a bit, and kind of somehow, magically, God will change you. Except 
so often that doesn't seem to work. So what perhaps is a more scriptural vision of who we are as human beings and how we change? First, as human beings, the teaching of scripture, and this is actually echoed in the social sciences um, over the last year. This isn't like news to um, uh, us as human beings. Um, but we are not rational beings. We are emotional beings. We are, to put it a different way in the language of Augustine, desiring beings. In other words, we are led by our desires far more than by what we think. It's not that what we think is irrelevant, but what actually we do and the people we're becoming is a fruit of what we desire. We see this play out in our lives all the time. So like the classic is... Um, you want to become more healthy. And you look into what you need to become more healthy. You need to exercise, and you need to eat a healthy diet, and you look up what that means, and you find yourself at your friend's for dinner, and um, they've served you dinner, you've had a bit of pudding, and then they offer you seconds of pudding. Like, what you know is, that's unhealthy, that's not going to help me you know, become a healthier person, but what do you do is you say, yes, please, I have seconds of pudding. Why? Because you enjoyed it so much. And you desire more of that kind of experience, that kind of emotional high that you get from the kind of sugar rush um, that provokes a kind of dopamine reaction in our brains that makes us go, oh, this is exciting. Um, and so we ask for more. What's leading us in that moment? What we think? No. What we feel, what we desire, that's what kind of leads us towards. You come home from work, it's been a tiring day, but you've got a new commitment in life. I'm going to go to the gym, or I'm going to go for a run, or I'm going to go for a daily walk, whatever it is, because I know that I need exercise to keep fit. But you come home, it's been a tiring day, and, and what determines what you do? What you desire, what you feel. And often in that moment, we feel a lot more like sitting on a sofa with a nice drink than getting out in the rain and you know, doing some exercise. Our desires lead the kind of lives we lead. And so if we want to experience change and transformation, therefore, we have got to allow Jesus to transform us on the level of desire, to reorder our desires, to reorder the things that we want. Because our strongest desires are rarely our deepest. Our deepest desires to be a good parent and um, good grandparent and to know Jesus more and grow in him and are rarely the strongest desires we experience as human beings. And we need Jesus to reorder, to change our desires if we are to actually see change happen in our lives. Um, and Paul talks about this, you know, throughout all this. Uh, we've heard it already, but that language desire pops up a lot in Paul's thinking. Um, you know, he says in, in the Galatians passage, um, where are we? Uh, Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify what? The desires of the flesh. Why is Paul saying that? Because that's what leads us. In Ephesians, he pretty much says the same thing. Ephesians is later. Um, he says, uh, you were taught to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Not its incorrect thinking, but what we tack to a lot in the church is we, we tack to knowledge kind of acquisition. And it's not that that's bad, it's just that that only represents a tiny proportion of what actually helps us change. So we're desiring beings, not rational beings. Second, um, this is brought out most strongly in the Corinthians passage, but it's in the others. 
we don't transform ourselves. Like, you can't do something to change yourself. But I think often in church, we think we can. We think, well, if only I studied hard enough or did enough of this or did enough of that, I would change. But that's not the teaching of Scripture. We don't change ourselves. Like, what does Paul say here? He says, um, we who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. It's not that we transform ourselves. It's we are being transformed. It's something that is happening to us. It's something that God does to us. Now, we could then think, oh, okay, well, what do I do then? Because it's just something God does to us. Surely it's just a magic process. But again, that's not quite what the scriptures teach. It's something that God does to us. But, you know, what does Paul say? He says, we who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. In the other passages, you know, he says things like, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, put off the old self, put on the new self. And so in other words, transformation is something that God does in us. It's not something that we do to ourselves, but it's something that we have got to have an active engagement in. If you don't actively engage in what God is wanting to do in you, you will not experience the transformation because it's not something that he forces upon us because that's not how Jesus works. So transformation is about reordering our desires and our desires are reordered not by us but by Jesus. But we've got to do something to participate in that process. And the church has taught into this kind of over, over many, many years. Um, and we ask the question, well, therefore, how do we engage in that process? How do we actively engage in that process of transformation? And, and the answer that the church has regularly given is this, through what are sometimes called the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines. And a spiritual practice is something that we do to open us up to what God wants to do in us. So it's something that we practically decide to do, actively do with ourselves, with our time, with the way we live our lives. But we do that, not, that doesn't change us, doesn't make anything happen, but we do that to kind of almost posture ourselves in openness before Jesus and what he wants to do in us. Like, I sometimes think of it, if this is helpful, a bit like, um, you know, Jesus has given us his spirit freely. And his spirit brings life and transformation. But it's almost like he gives us his spirit and it's like his spirit flows over us in this enormous like, pipe with millions of like, little doors on it. And, um, um, and every time you engage in a spiritual practice, it's like you flick one of the doors open and the water of the spirit of God just pours into you, pours upon you. But of course, if you just flick one of those little doors open, you just get a bit of water out, right? And it only hits you maybe in one place, your head or your foot. Like, but if you flick a couple open, it, it hits you in different places and more water comes out. And so if you only engage in one spiritual practice, if you only ever read the Bible, you will experience something of what God is doing in your life. You'll flick open one little window and you know, the Spirit of God will pour into you. But you'll only be opening one little window. If we open multiple different windows at different times, the Spirit of God will flood into our lives in different ways. We'll be opening different parts of our life up to him in increased measure. And as we do that, we will find that we will change over months, over years. It's a slow process. It's not instant. But we will find that we will change. We will see the fruits of the Spirit, joy, love, patience, kindness, come to bear fruit in our lives. 
And so what I want us to do, and we'll do this again and again kind of as a church because I think it's essential, is just do a bit of a deep dive into a practice over the next six weeks, I think it's six. Um, And we're looking today, um, unsurprisingly, at um, the practice of simplicity. The practice of simplicity. Something we can do to open us up to what God wants to do in us such that we might experience him changing us. Um, The practice of simplicity, as I said this morning, is ironically simple. Um, Because all it is, is it's just doing something a bit less or a bit more simply or doing, um, you know, giving up something for a period of time. And it's something you can kind of experiment with. You can do it for a week, a few weeks, a month, a year. There's no hard and fast rules, and, and you don't get an award for practicing it for longer. Like, it, it's not about that. But it's something you can just give a go and, and see what happens. Try it with one area of your life, try it with another. And you just simply do a bit less of something. You maybe, uh, I don't know, simplify your diet. Um, to just reduce the million options, or you might simplify your calendar so you're not so busy, or, um, you know, it, it can be anything, and it will work in different ways for different people because we lead different lives. But um, let me just read a quote. Um, no, in fact, sorry, I don't want to read a quote, I want to read the, uh, the scriptures. Um, I just quickly want to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 12. Um, we see in this kind of I guess the roots of this practice in the life of Jesus. Jesus is teaching. And it says, Luke 12, verse 22. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, is there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Jesus' thinking, um, the things we worry about are often the things that we treasure the most. The things that often occupy our minds are often the things that we treasure the most. And the things that you treasure the most will ultimately be the things that your heart will follow. In other words, the things you treasure will often be the things that you desire. And as we've already kind of thought about, the things you desire will ultimately determine the direction your life is lived in, the people you're becoming. And in the teaching of Jesus, like if we desire um, the wrong things or the wrong things in the uh, the right things in the wrong order, and Jesus isn't our greatest desire that we don't find our needs first and foremost met in Him, we will find that the things that we kind of our hearts desire will have a deforming, destructive kind of influence on our life. They'll make us less of who we're made to be, not more of who we're made to be. And our hearts, as Jesus teaches, are inherently very deceptive. What we think we treasure is often not what we truly treasure. What we would like to treasure, what we intend to treasure, what we intend to value isn't necessarily what we really, truly most value in our lives. 
And this is the essence of the practice of simplicity. What it's about is it's about stripping back some of the layers of noise, distraction, and kind of delusion that we, we live in to get to the root of what we actually treasure in our lives, therefore what we actually desire, and therefore the direction our lives are lived in, such that we, it might kind of be exposed for Jesus to kind of help us let go of it and cling on to him, find our needs met in him so that we can experience transformation. I want to read a quote. Um, it's from a book called Abundant Simplicity by someone called Jan Johnson. It's a great book, despite the front cover, which um, I dislike. Um, but recommend it. It's um, a book that talks all about this practice. It's only 150 pages long, and I would class the font as fairly large, which means it's quite a quick read. But I just want to read a quote from her. She says this. She says, Simplicity disciplines empower us to temporarily give things up. When we do give these things up, we see how deeply we have counted on them to falsely feel nurtured and acceptable. We also see how they suck up our time, drain our energy, and create craziness in our inner life. Simplicity's undoing process creates space for God to work with our motives and our thoughts. We begin to ask ourselves questions like, can I let go of this grudge? Could I go without this dessert after dinner? Could I give up this role that I occupy? Could I um, give up this amazing mobile phone that I own and rely on God to meet my needs instead? Like what she's kind of saying is that the, you know, the discipline of simplicity almost has two facets to it. The first is that in practicing simplicity, it's, it's about doing less. But it's not just about doing less for the sake of it. It's, it you know, in doing less it creates space for us to do more of something that's perhaps more valuable. You know, when you give up something, or you do a bit less of something, often what you start to realize, and what God points into you as you kind of open yourself up in that way to what he's saying, is he shows us kind of, oh, you didn't miss that. You know, I remember, like, I, I, you know, they went for a season where I just dialed back on TV for a while, and I didn't miss it. It was like, oh, I'd almost forgotten that it, I was engaging in this thing before. Um, I've started doing a bit less, and I, I, I don't actually miss it. And you start realizing when you don't miss something that maybe there's no point in doing it. And what that does, it's not about doing less for the sake of doing less, because, you know, who cares? But what that does then is it kind of frees up time for you to do something, to have more time to do something of perhaps greater value. Maybe that's to just spend time in the presence of God. Maybe that's to be more present to your friends and to your family and to your loved ones. Maybe that's to kind of invest in the gifts and the skills that God has given us. It's do less to create time for things of more worth and to perhaps see the ways in which we are spending our time that really ultimately were just a bit of a waste of time. So that's one half of the practice. The second half of that is, I think, the most powerful and it's that when we practice simplicity, when we do a bit less of something for a while, what often happens is that enables God to show us something that's beneath the surface. It enables God to show us where we've maybe valued that thing um, in a way that's actually had a distorting influence on our life, where we've maybe relied on it. Maybe we've kind of like used it to be something that's been a therapeutic end in our life covering up a pain that exists rather than allowing God to kind of heal us and bring contentment within that pain. Um, and so how, how does that play out? Well, 
I don't know, say for example, you practice simplicity um, with regard to what you drink. Maybe you have a glass of wine each um, evening with your dinner. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like, you know, wine is a good gift from God. Inevitably, good gifts can be misused, but equally they can be rightly used. But you decide, hey, I'm going to just practice this, and maybe I'm just going to have it twice a week, or maybe just go without it for three weeks and just see what happens. And it might be nothing happens, because there's there wasn't a way in which we were relying on it to uh, fulfill our needs or um, do anything else. And so maybe nothing happens, but you might find that as you practice that, God just uses that to surface something in you. And a couple of nights in, you, you find yourself starting to really crave that glass of wine. And, and you're like, well, God, what's going on there? Why do I really crave this? Why do I feel this draw? Why can't I go without this. Why do I feel this pull to what's going on there? Maybe you start to feel a bit anxious because, you know, work's hard and, and you just think, oh, I just really want to have that glass of wine to relax. And, and Jesus might just start to point out to you the ways in which that glass of wine hasn't just been an innocent glass of wine. It's actually been something you've used to kind of, you know, almost as a therapeutic thing to meet your needs. But whenever you use something as a therapeutic thing to meet your needs that isn't Jesus, all you do is kind of distract yourself from the inner turmoil that's within. You don't actually have that inner turmoil healed and brought to a place of peace and contentment because we can only ever find peace and contentment in the presence of God. And we can only ever find true enjoyment in the things that he gives us from that place of peace and contentment. Maybe you've cut back on uh, busyness. You're really busy and frenetically always doing something, always doing a job around the house or doing something or as an engagement or you're seeing a friend and you just dial that back a bit, see a few less people, decide you're not going to do those jobs and a few days in, you, you just feel this kind of rising angst within you or this sort of unease. Like, and that might be just because God's showing you that that busyness has become something that you've used to just distract yourself from your true self, from what's going on beneath the surface, from reality. And as you kind of simplify, as you strip back, God is allowing what was always there to come to the surface and be revealed to you. Why? So that you can have your needs met in him. So that you can find peace in him. So you can find contentment in him. So that you can face the reality of what's actually going on in your lives rather than missing it because it's filled with so much activity that stops you from seeing it. This is the essence of the practice of simplicity. Doing less to enable us to do more of something else. And, and stripping back to enable God to show us where we've unhealthily valued things that are actually having a destructive influence on us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to um, continue looking at this practice, but look at it a bit more zoomed in, how it might play out in certain areas, facets of our of our life. And, and as we do that, I'd, I'd love you to just be listening out to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you, where he might be prompting you to just give this practice a bash for a week, a month, who cares? Um, and just kind of like, maybe he's showing you one area where he's like, I, I just want you to focus on that. I just want you to have a go on that. And it's not meant to be an exhaustive series. You know, we're not, there's many more areas that you can practice simplicity than we're going to touch on, but I hope it will be illustrative. And so it might be that it's not so much something that we've talked into um, where you practice it, but it might inspire you as to another area of your life where like, why don't I simplify and just see what God speaks to me through that? Um, 
Two things. First of all, the spiritual practices are not virtuous. What I mean by that is that you don't get an award for doing more of them. You're not a better person for doing more of them. God's not more pleased. Like, and kind of, on one level, so what? Because remember, we don't transform ourselves. All the practices are is a means for us to open ourselves up to what God is doing in our life. And so, you know, as we did, I'd probably encourage you to just focus on one area. There are no points or awards for practicing simplicity in 10 areas of your life. It will probably just pull you in 10 different directions. You'll exhaust yourself and you'll give up. So maybe just focus on one thing. Um, secondly, um, the, the point of this is, is not to just do less. Like, I mean, it's not of no worth to do less, but it's to do less to open us up to what God is saying to us, to what he wants to do in us. And so this doesn't, isn't kind of accompanied by you speaking to him about it in prayer for you kind of spending time just reflecting upon the experience of doing less with him in prayer, then it probably won't lead to much change in your life. It will just be you doing less. And so this has got to lead into conversation with Jesus. If it's not, um, it really isn't worth the paper it's written on. Um, I fundamentally believe, though, that um, we can see transformation and change in every single one of our lives. It's a slow work. It's not an instant work, but I really believe that Jesus wants to renew every single one of us. It's sometimes painful, it's sometimes difficult, but it's always good. I'd love to pray for us. Jesus, we trust you with our lives. We trust that you want to do a good thing in us. We trust that you know what's best for us. We trust that you want to make us into the people you've created us to be. You want to form us into being kind of new creations. You want to renew us. You don't want to leave us where we are, Lord, because where we are is always short of the fullness that you want to bring in our lives. You want to bring blessing, renewal, and change. And Father, I pray that you would help us to open our lives up in ever-increasing measure to what you are wanting to do in us. Let's just have a moment of just silence and stillness. Just allow Jesus to speak to us right now. Lord, we just want to be open to you.
Father, thank you so much for your presence with us now. Help us, I pray, to be open to what you're wanting to do in our lives, to not miss it, to not disengage with it, but to engage with it, to welcome it. And I pray where there is fear, that you would cast that out. You would bring your assurance of your love, your delight, and your goodness to us, I pray. Guide us, I pray, and particularly over the next few weeks, speak to us about how we might just through this practice, open our life up to your life and experience more of your goodness and love. Amen.